Hello and welcome back to Gallo Vault Sessions, a six-part podcast series brought to you by Gallo Music in collaboration with Gonjo. This is the sixth and final episode of our first season. In this podcast, we chat with artists, label execs, radio veterans and thinkers as we explore the backstories and overlooked tapes from the Gallo Music Vault and reflect on the ways music shapes culture and how our culture has been shaped by music. In today's episode, we think through South African music through transition, both the political transition of South Africa's socio-political landscape, but also how the sounds and music technologies within South Africa's music industry evolved along with the shifts in the country. We will return to our conversation with Antos Stella and Dr. Sipo Sitole, and also hear from esteemed songstress Simpiwe Dana and writer, producer and performer Don Laka, who has been in the music industry for 50 years. But before we start our story, we have a quick note from our producer. It's important to note that much of the contemporary language of the recording industry continues to be influenced by South Africa's apartheid racial classifications and the South African Broadcasting Corporation's policies under the apartheid regime. We hope that at this point in the season, we have begun to critically unpack much of these nuanced connections in our effort to understand our cultural history and also imagine new futures for the recording industry on the continent. In the first episode, we heard from Antostella about the period of Gallo music that overlapped with the dawn of South Africa's democracy. We need to remember that Gallo was a very progressive company. In the time of the 80s, its artists were very, very, very at the front of changing the country. That era of music created such harmony and unity in a country that was so torn apart. In 1987, Hugh Masekela released Bring Him Back Home. In 1990, Lucky Dube came out with Prisoner, just as Mandela had been released from prison. And in 1991, Brenda Fassi, the queen of bubblegum, launched the album Black President, all off different labels, but speaking to the significance of a country on the cusp of what felt like freedom. On Gallo, the bubblegum-turned-gospel singer Yvonne Chaka Chaka released the song I'm Winning My Dear Love on the 1987 release Thank You, Mr. DJ. She later revealed that the song was a lyrical veiling of I'm Winnie Mandela in tribute to the release of feminist freedom fighter Winnie Matigizela Mandela from eight years under house arrest as a political prisoner banished to the rural town of Bramford. There was so much that the entire country was trying to move towards. And music, I think music was very, very integral as part of that, leading the country to that, that moment. In the early years of democracy, South Africa was chosen to host the 1995 Rugby World Cup. And again, this provided another opportunity to use music to mobilize the perceived utopia of the 90s in the country. So in 1995... We did the Wilden Union for the Rugby World Cup because we knew how well associated music was with um, sports and we were coming into a very different country. But as far back as I can remember being in the business, I mean, you know, the guys used to go perform at the soccer stadiums 
in the 80s. So there's always been, I think, music and, and sport are very, very closely associated. In Africa, I mean, I see it all the way, you know, wherever you travel in Africa. Gallo Music recorded a cover of Charlie Scarbeck's World in Union as the official theme song of the World Cup with Ladysmith Black Mambazo featuring Hotline's PJ Powers. The opportunity to record a song between also having Ladysmith Black Mambazo, who were just enjoying, I mean, an amazing global career. It just made sense to do the song featuring South African artists, which is what we did. We recorded, I think Weston Corsi was partly produced the song. Um, and, you know, Weston Corsi had been with Gallo for such a... In fact, he was the first producer that I had met, but he was also a great penny whistler, and you will find in Gallo's archives. And, yeah, the song just landed up being as magical as the rugby match. Let's give World in Union a listen. Let's rewind a little bit before the dawn of democracy and South Africa's historic win of the Rugby World Cup and take a look at how this era of South African music, the 1980s and 90s, also saw the emergence and dominance of a new sound that reached beyond the sounds of Umbakanga, Iskatamia and sax dive. In the early 80s, bassist and former frontman of the Beaters and Harari, Om Alec Kaoli, founded the band Umoja, meaning unity in Swahili. The band was signed to Gallo Music, and its sound is distinct of 80s South African pop, or what some might call bubblegum. The song seemed apolitical on the surface, but clearly demonstrated dreams of a better South Africa and an insistence on joy in the time being, and most notably, it had synths. This is Umoja's song, Brown Sugar. On Umoja's first album, Um Alec invited many American musicians to play on the record, with notable US producer Bill Myers on the Moog synthesizer on the song You. But Um Alec later invited Don Laka to join the band. First, I was born and raised in, in, in Mamilodi. I uh, got into music because my uncles had a band which played Kuala music. You know, I soaked all that in when I was a kid. So around eight or nine, I picked up guitar and I started playing and, uh, with cousins. And in uh, 1972, at the age of 14, actually, then I uh, walked at the doors of Gallo. So my father gave me 50 cents and I left with a friend of mine, got into a bars, praying, and um, it was on Saturday morning. And we walked almost the whole job back looking for Gallo. I thought I would go in there and, uh, you know, I was told not to walk in there because that was only a white entrance. So I was shown to go at the back, you know, the, the parking lot and there was a, a walkway that goes to Mavutena. And so I got to, to my hotel and uh, the first person that I met was 
some few ladies uh, came later to understand they were from Mahotela, Queens. And I said, no, I'm looking for a producer. And then they called Weston Gossi, and who, who came up there. Interesting character back then, and uh, with a cigar in his hand. <laughs> but about a decade later... Ale Kaudi asked me to join his band. And I was you know, a jazz knob at that time. You know, I just wanted to play acoustic piano, you know. And when Ale called me, he was just formed band uh, called Umoja. And he said, I want you to come and do keyboards for me. So when I walked in at his rehearsal, there was no piano. And there was an uh, electric piano, the Fender Rhodes. And um, he just brought with him from the States synthesizers. And those were the first synthesizers in this country. And he said, listen, I don't operate these things, but I want you to play them. <laughs> so he gave me the manuals. Of course, the synthesizer was responsible for shaping the sound of the 80s the world over. And Don Lager, having been one of the first adopters of this technology in the country, made a major, major contribution to the sound of South African pop. Oh, synthesizers, let me tell you. For me, it was like God sends stuff because late 70s, I had music coming from the US and we would hear orchestras and stuff. And I realized that there was no way I was going to get an orchestra on my record, you know. And... Uh, I sat on this thing and when I, you know, I really didn't want to touch a synthesizer. Really didn't want to because it was not a keyboard. I'm, I'm a pianist, you know, I just want to play piano, you know. And when I touched this thing and it produced string sounds, <laughs> and I was blown. I was blown and uh, we went and, and I wrote my first record that went gold with the band called Oneness. Let's listen to Oneness by Umoja. When digital synthesizers first arrived in South Africa, it was the Yamaha DX7 that became the most popular unit. It is actually one of the best-selling synthesizers in music history. You know, when, when they first came, I know DX7 was not programmable. A lot of people just used the basic sounds. I was one of the few people who could program it. Then uh, a company called Roland came with easiest-to-use synthesizers. This was the Roland Juno 106 synth. You know, the sounds were much more available. Then you saw the big dudes and other guys now starting to use all these things. And the music, the bubblegum music now started to evolve now. And back then, because a lot of people were copying Americans. Well, we're all copying American sound. But, uh, you know, with the South African feel, Moravian stuff, then we came up with this bubblegum music. Umoja and the sound of bubblegum more generally were topping the local charts throughout the country and also crossing over with white audiences. A major moment in the 80s was the 1985 Benefit concert, Concert in the Park, where 22 bands performed in support of the South African charity Operation Hunger. Some of the Gallo Music-affiliated headliners included Umoja, Hotlines with PJ Powers, Yvonne Chaka Chaka, Steve Gekana, Brenda Fassi and the Big Dudes, Harari and Margaret Nkringana. 
Held at Ellis Park Stadium, the concert was attended by a racially mixed audience of over 125,000 people. And back then, you know, the nice thing about Bubblegum, South Africans were actually really hearing their own people, their own sound. And that's why it dominated so much. I remember at a festival, you would have Image or Band, you would have Steamella, you would have Brandon, the big dudes, you would have Sipo Hot Sticks, Yvonne Chaka Chaka. You know, there were so many at one festival. Just, these were normal festivals and you had mega superstars and all these bands sold over 100,000 each. The sound really grew so much and it lasted for a long period of time. You know, it lasted for nearly 10 years. In addition to the major impact of the synthesizer on this era of music was the introduction of the drum machine. There was a drum machine that was brought in at the same time when I was doing this album, Stages of Love. You know, drum players in South Africa were not happy, most especially in Jobek, and they said they started a union. And apparently they started because of using synthesizers and drum machines. that They're going to lose jobs. My drummer in, in my own band actually joined the same union <laughs> image. So, yeah, that, that that's the... Uh, the funny part about it, uh, but I never looked back. You know, I used drum machines and I used uh, live dramas. I mixed them because they, for me, it, they, they just bring a different flavor to the music. So, you know, if I need a real feel of a human being, I get in a drama. So as I say, you know, it has opened my, my uh, thinking in, into getting into more genres, into what I'm doing. You know, I've never left any type of music. While I was involved with uh, the beginning of, of bubblegum music, I'm still playing jazz. Given the prevalence of drum machine in music today, it's quite difficult to imagine drummers unionizing in this way. But another major genre in South Africa that wouldn't have been possible without the drum machine was Kwaito, which emerged in the early 90s off the heels of bubblegum, the shift in the popular narrative in new democracy, and of course, the international proliferation of house, hip-hop, and dancehall internationally. In fact, Kwaito and its use of the drum machine really remains groundbreaking. And true to Don Laka's constant experimentation with both genre and technology, he co-founded Galawa Jazzme Records with DJ Oskido and DJ Christos in the early 90s. The label was best known for its significant contribution to the formation and development of Kwaito in South Africa. For me, Kwaito was a mixture of uh, bubblegum music with the addition of my jazz playing. So if you listen to the early stuff, it's more jazzier than, you know, stuff that came up and uh, came up with a new genre of music. Prior to this, Don Laka had been living and working abroad and his mentor had been working with Jazzy B and the British soul and hip-hop collective Soul to Soul. For Laka, this was his first time seeing DJs working with real musicians in the studio. The guy who was my mentor was producing soul to soul and uh, it was the first encounter of seeing a dj in the studio working with a real musician i saw what the contributions were from from the dj side that's what i brought home and so galawa jasmine and the sound of kwaito were born in fact one can really hear the influence of soul to soul in the music of groups like Boomshaga. Galawa managed to get some cassettes from some of the profit Oskido made from selling Borovas rolls in Hillbrow. 
Unfortunately, radio stations would traditionally only accept tapes from established labels, like Gallo Music at the time. And so Galawa took their tapes to the inner city and promoted and sold the cassettes outside the Carlton Center with a boombox. The sound resonated, and the rest is history. This first album was Traffic Cop by Brothers of Peace, released in 1994. Let's hear the title track. The mid-tempo bass and drum accompaniment to oft-repeated lyrics chronicling life in South African townships became a well-replicated feature of most Guaito songs of the time, a sound that emerged from the legacies of Marabi rhythms, kwela, mbakanga, maskandi, bubblegum, hip-hop, and the introduction of the drum machine. This is the phenomenon Don Laka terms guai jazz, returning the spirit of black life to the music. For me, Kwaito was, was a mixture of uh, bubblegum music and uh, with the addition of my jazz playing. So if you listen to the early stuff, it's more jazzier than, you know, stuff that came up. For the first time, we were hearing free expression and multiple vernacular languages spoken on tracks playing on the radio. This was unheard of during the times of SABC radio censorship and the segregation of languages according to the Radio Bantu system. Finally, South Africans were hearing the way they spoke reflected back to them on the radio through Kwaito, mixing Afrikaans with Sitwana and Isizulu. A big linguistic impact on the culture was the tradition of praise poetry and also Isipitori, a township doll spoken on the streets of Pretoria that subverted formal linguistic rules. In the 80s, you were not allowed to sing in different languages in one song. And you would not actually even mention your name or someone's name. They would censor it. So in the 90s now, you, you see Zulu mixed with Tostital and, you know, it's all mixed up. That's how people speak. People studying, oh, I'm so-and-so-and-so, like we do it traditionally. Traditionally, if I, I have to do a praise singing about me, I'll say... I am so-and-so-and-so from so-and-so-and-so, coming from that background and going back and back, back, and then you start telling the story. It's a natural African thing. We wanted to reflect what was happening in the township. For me, it was like the opening now. Let's, you know, uh, people could talk freely about this and they would record stuff, swearing and things and, you know, being angry at so-and-so. And I would just, you know, because I come from the old school and I'll just <laughs> edit that out from, from, from there because, I, you know, it was a cultural shock, even for me, you know, being involved in it. As Don Laka mentioned, Artists started to implicate themselves and their own personal histories into the songs in the same ways that Imibongi, praise poets, did within their own art forms. A good example of the self-referential lyrical style is the song The Way Kunga Kona by the group Bongo Muffin. 
As the late South African cultural studies scholar Beggy Zizwe Peterson has remarked, Guaito is an eloquent testimony of the agency of young black people especially in their desire to create their own narrative and meanings in response to the harsh and hostile urban landscape that they found themselves in, beyond the euphoria of a changed political landscape. In our first episode, we spoke with Dr. Sipo Sitole about his time as the MD of Gallo Music in the early 2000s. The reality is that whilst Guaito was the biggest sound of the 90s, most artists weren't signing with Gallo Music, except for Trompis and eventually Pumshaga, who moved from Galawa Jazmi to Teal for their third and fourth albums. Let's listen to Pumshaga's Don't Be Ashamed of their 1998 album Words of Wisdom, released on Teal, featuring the pioneering Junior Sokela, Lebo Matosa, Theo Nchengetwa, and Tembi Siete. Don't be ashamed. of this era in music is the archetype Ama Pansula, the shape-shifting supposed hustlers who emerged from Pansula subculture, which first appeared in Johannesburg townships and the mixed suburb Sophia Town in the 1950s. Understood in their early iterations as gangsters who defied their lean materialistic circumstances by dressing in designer clothing and bringing their rhythmic quick-stepping to any dance floor, Amapansula groups signified a new socio-cultural identity which placed fashion and dance at the center. As Amapansula evolved, items such as khaki pants, converse all-stars, and a soft cotton bucket hat, or isporti, became synonymous with the way in which Guaito groups started to style themselves. In addition to the significant aesthetic, Guaito also saw the rise of black women occupying a new performance and fashion style in the wake of household names like Miriam Makeba. As Brenda Farsi kicked down the doors of respectability politics in the bubblegum era, icons like Lebo Matosa walked right through them. Lebo Matosa's legacy in South African music and aesthetic can still be seen today with the explosion and success of women in Ama Piano who are currently dictating the fashion and dance styles of the scene. While Gallo music mostly missed the Guaito bus, Sipo Sitole was brought in to help redesign the strategy of the label to make it relevant to contemporary culture in the black centers of the country. I say to Gallo, forget about Guaito. You've missed the boat. We need to find new South African voices that can also stand tall amongst greatest world music artists. We needed to find artists that are just brilliant artists and nobody needed to sympathize with them. They must just be brilliant artists. Sipo Sitole signed Tandiswa Mazwai as a solo artist who was enjoying her career as part of the Guaito group Bongo Muffin. And when I signed Tanzo, Tanzo then says to me, there's another artist you must hear that I really think is brilliant. Her name is Simpuetana. Simpuetana, the demo was just a cappella. At that time, Carlo felt that she was old style. She was more like Sophia Town era. It wasn't going to work. I was like, no, 
wait till we put music on this a cappella, then you'll tell me what it is. We sign her. from Simpiwe Dana about her entry into music. For a long time, I didn't know, I didn't think my voice sounded great, but I really loved to sing. So I grew up in church. And before that, I grew up in the village, in a society where music accompanied every chore, every gathering. I was always surrounded by music. You know, if my grandmother was cooking, she was singing a tune. Um, prayers at night, we had to sing. If if people were working in the in the fields, they were singing as they were working, and sometimes in unison too. Um, but there was something about church and its fixation with God that I quickly adopted. I wanted to sing for God. Simpiwe grew up in the Assemblies of God Church, who incidentally have also recorded gospel albums with Gallo music. But when she was young, Simpiwe also sang in all the school choirs. And one day, the vice principal at her school in Inzolo told her that she could be singing for a living after hearing her in a choir performance. Those words thrust her into dreaming of making a name for herself in the big city. She left the Eastern Cape and set her sights to Johannesburg, determined to make it as an artist while maintaining a job in IT. I came here with nothing. I don't know even why I did that, but something told me, if you don't go now, it will never happen. I discovered that I had a message in Joburg. I came here without a message, just with my voice. Soon after Simpiwe arrived in Johannesburg, she found herself immersed in an underground scene of poets, musicians and songwriters who were all reckoning with what it meant to be in post-apartheid reality that didn't live up to the dreams of freedom and prosperity that the bubblegum era aspired towards. Poverty and extreme economic disparity between the rich and the poor became a debilitating feature of the new South Africa and the optimism that had characterized the early 90s started to wane by the mid-2000s as the material realities of many people's lives remained unchanged and young creatives were intent on figuring out their message. So when I came to Joburg and found this very rich underground culture, I felt for the first time I would be understood. You know, people of my time were very lucky in that regard because... There was a palpable, revolutionary, spiritual, um, underground scene, you know, that was on the move at the time. And all of these young people who were teenagers when 1994 happened and literally then grew into adulthood in a, in a free South Africa where they felt like they were at the forefront of change since, you know, they are the first generation to experience this continued long walk and they were very hands-on in wanting to be a part of the change that is happening in SA at the time. So identity politics was something that was heavily in discussion. Who are we? 
that was the, the biggest question that we were trying to answer to ourselves because we obviously were not the people from before 1994. We were not the people from the 70s, right? We had a new mandate, you know, that we had to find for ourselves and run with. How we look to the world like, was a very important thing. There was a concern around both politics and also questioning what it meant to be African, spiritually and aesthetically. Remember, we are coming from the bubblegum era, we are coming from Afro-pop era, we are coming from jazz or Afro-jazz era, and, um, and Guaido, of course. But suddenly, you are now having these artists who mostly are actually educated and very sophisticated. So they are amazing singer-songwriters and they have a heightened social-political consciousness. So their writing is not just about uh, let's dance. They are well informed by their societal surrounding uh, about what's happening, but also they now have this license to pen something on paper because we are in a democratic era. So they are going to, to stretch their imagination. Simpiwe Dana was 21, attending underground sessions which were occurring around the city. There were poetry collectives with the likes of Shaka Sisulu and Lebo Mashile who wanted to grow black culture with the new contemporary sensibility and open mic nights like Black Sunday in Soweto and 206 in Orange Grove where folks would sing, read their poems, do live paintings and breakdance in an effort to build the culture. Almost every day of the week, there was some underground something happening somewhere where you could go and get on stage and express yourself. And that's where I grew my, my sound. I literally would write a verse and go and sing it there. And they'd be like, okay, thank you. <laughs> that's all I have. There were two incredibly significant figures in this scene that we need to acknowledge for their role in developing the culture. In many ways, these uncles paved the way for the podcast to even exist within the lineage of committed cultural work that started some 30 years ago. The late Peter Makurube, a radio broadcaster with Radio Bop and a slew of other radio stations, including Metro FM and the beginnings of Kaya FM, a station which had a clear Afrocentric agenda. He also hosted the open mic night Monday Blues at the Cotton Club in Hillbrow and Jungle Connection in Duernfontein. The session was aimed at developing talent and spreading social consciousness through art and culture from as early as 1992. It not only provided a platform for Simpiwe Dana, but also for artists like Jimmy Dluru and jazz pianist Moses Molelegwa. The other elder was promoter Arabi Mocheke, who was also deeply invested in developing the arts in the country at the dawn of its transition. He was the manager for the Newtown Jazz Club Kipis, named after Kipi Moiketi, and later went on to manage the jazz group Malombo with Philip Dabane, who released their last album, Mubango, with Gallo Music in 1998. The title track went on to be the theme song for a local television series of the same name. While record labels may do the important work of releasing and marketing new music, it's also important to acknowledge that the music and the artists thrive because of a much wider network of folks who do the heavy lifting of developing a scene in which the music can live. There is never just one player who builds a culture. Let's hear the track Moana o Alela from that Malombo album. 
That was Philip Tabane and Malombo with the fire tune Nwana Oalela. The child is crying. Whilst Malombo had been releasing music since the 70s, it is one of South Africa's longest standing groups and has helped shape and inspire the musical careers of many. It's interesting to hear this marked shift in Gallo Music's local catalogue beyond Mbapanga, Bubblegum, and the sound of Stimela and Lakidube. Somehow this album represents an interesting precursor to the era that came in the 2000s, with the likes of Simpiwe Dana, Tandiswa Mazwai, Squatter Camp, and ProKid, who all represented a slight turn toward the underground and alternative conceptions of what it meant to be South African, given Gallo's legacy. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, and when we get back, we'll learn more about the transition era in the industry. The Sowetan is a proudly South African news, lifestyle, and entertainment publication that dates back to the early 80s with its roots as a liberation struggle newspaper. It is still one of Mzanzi's most influential platforms of trusted journalism with over 3 million unique readers a month, promoting social activism and celebrating excellence. Pick up a copy daily at your nearest newspaper outlet nationwide or log on to Sowetan Live and be a part of the rhythm of the nation. Gallo Sessions. Welcome back to the sixth episode of Gallo Vault Sessions, a podcast collaboration with Gonjo. So far, we've gotten a bit of a sense around the shift in both the sounds and sensibilities of music in South Africa during its transition period. Let's hear more from Simpiwe Dana about her journey into the scene at this time. So there was a lot of trying to figure out like who we were, right? And it was something that I was also struggling with, you know, because of societal conditioning. A lot of us have grown up ashamed of who we are. It was drummed in us, even in schools, even in our history books, that we are less. So we are dealing a lot with issues of conditioning. Um, and because I was dealing with that myself, I found it very hard to write songs in Kosa. But when Simpiwe got into the underground, she befriended the playwright and poet Lesejo Rampulukeng. We used to hang out a lot together. 
And one day he brought out this CD of different songs. Actually, it was a Gallo CD, by the way, a collection of Marabi songs. The compilation she's referring to is titled From Marabi to Disco, 42 Years of Township Music, a Gallo music release compiled by Rob Allingham. I listened to that music and it sounded like home. And he played Dorothy Masuka, Jerry, 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 and I was like, this is me, Mos. Someone who grew up the way that I did, grew up choral music, church music. This is natural progression. But I just didn't think that this would have space in the industry right now or ever. In, like, I, didn't, I didn't think that you know, it, was, it would be something that would be cool enough to do. But since I do have a job, I can afford to be myself and take the risk of being myself. So I did that. We've said it before, but one really cannot overstate the lasting impact of Dorothy Masuku and her music. Let's listen to that seminal song, Ufigizolo, by Dorothy Masuku. Coincidentally enough, before Simpiwe got signed to Gallo Music, she was living across the road from Oskido of Galawa Jazmi and worked as his lyricist, waiting for her big break. And I remember being at, at Oskido's house and, you know, Oskido has always liked me as, as his little sister, even before I, I had a career in music. I, I remember I would go to him and complain, I want to sing, I want to sing, please do something. I said, ah, sweetie, you can't even dance. What are you going to do? <laughs> and I would go there and sit while he was recording Bongo Muffin. He was recording Mafiki Zolo. Um, what is it? Trumpies. Like, I would, I would be there, you know, just, just sitting in the corner, you know, hoping that he's going to call me and say, come, come sing something here. <laughs> um, which he never did. You know, he, he did that once and I was not happy at all. I, I think he just felt sorry for me because I'd been in that studio for so many days. But what he wanted me to sing, I was like, I know, come on. Like, you literally made me wait for hours so I can come in and say, hey, ho, in your song. <laughs> <laughs> I literally stormed out that night. I was so angry at him. But anyways, Oskido has been like a big brother to me ever since I've known him. What's really remarkable about this moment in the industry is the sheer amount of overlap across labels, styles and projects, distinctly different to the times where artists were somewhat siloed through their exclusive dealings with labels, talent, scouts and producers. Artists were now jamming and engaging with one another across mediums and genres with agency and a distinct cultural vibrancy. Let's hear Simpiwe Dana's Ndize Mama Tata off her debut album. Oh, 
Clearly, she found her voice and comfort in writing in Isiklasa. If you look at the artists, for instance, Tandi Somazwai, Simpiwetana, they are occupying that space of saying, we are going to tell our story, and our story, story is going to be told by what we see and hear happening. But also, it's a story of hope, because this is now just, I think, what is it, about 10 years into democracy, because everyone was still hoping that we are now for the black government and uh, things are going to happen, but let's remind you what is it that you are supposed to be considering. Um, Tanisha is more on the culture side, very ethno and very cultural. You look at Tanisha, you are seeing yourself as an African, a proud African. You could be from any village, you can see Tanisha. You see yourself through Tanisha. With Simpiwe, you are listening and watching an activist. Let's listen to Tandiswa Mazwai's Tongo Lam Iyeza of her second album Ibokwe, a sound distinctly different to that of her part in Bongo Muffin. On the label side, Sipo Sitole had advocated that Gallo Music take seriously their commitment to the new sound of South Africa, and they made significant marketing budgets available for the new artists they signed, upwards of 250,000 rand. This was unheard of for new artists at major labels. The kind of deal that I got at Gallo, it was such a sweet deal. It was such a sweet deal, especially for a new artist. I got a deal where I was one of three prime artists at Galo that they would focus on. A new artist does not get that. I had no track record of anything. I had not worked with anyone. I did not even do backing vocals for anyone. I was literally fresh from the Eastern Cape. I come in and I've got this deal that has got a proper budget so I can have a proper album. I can thank people for that. I got a proper budget and my album got the proper response to the work that I'd put into it. The same could be said for Squatter Camp, Tandiswa Mazwai, and other artists Gallo had signed at the time. Whilst the label had made considerable investments and executed a new strategy, the reality is that the country was just ready, and we saw all these new artists going platinum and cleaning out nominations at the South African Music Awards. In addition to this new wave of soul and hip-hop, Gallo Music and Shear, now acquired by Gallo, expanded the portfolio to the new sound of jazz in the country that some might categorize as world music. In 2005, at the 11th annual Samas, Gallo's affiliated artists dominated. The South African Music Awards, you knew that when the various genres have been nominated, it's just top. You don't even know who amongst the five would win. Anybody could win, you know? I remember one day there was a, there was a, a year where the best female was like hardcore. There was Tendiswa, there was Piwe, there was this. We're like, wow, who is going to win here, you know? 
Both Simpiwe Dana and Tandiswa Mazwai were nominated for Best Female Artist with their debut releases alongside Lebo Matosa's solo album. For the record, Tandiswa won Best Female Artist and Simpiwe won the award for Best Newcomer. This same year, Trompis was nominated for Best Group alongside Sakile with their album Togetherness, while Squatter Camp was nominated for the Best Rap Album Washumkuku, also released off Gallo Music. Sipo Kumede was nominated for Best Male Artist for his Gallo album African Sunrise, alongside Louis Mklanga with his sheer release Inganekwane. And finally, Sipo Hotsticks Mabuse, Margaret Ntlingana, Dorothy Masuku and Brenda Fassi all received Lifetime Achievement Awards. In fact, two years later, Simpiwe went on to receive four more Samas for her album, The One Love Movement on Bantu Biko Street. Wow. This was clearly an exceptionally exciting time in the industry, and for Gallo music in particular, across genres. Let's listen to Shumi Leminyaga by Sakile on the 2004 release Togetherness, which also features Gallo artist Sipo Kumede. And, and um, the journalists were writing about what was happening. So those were the good old years. I mean, honestly, uh, and the, the record companies were investing. They didn't worry. Until such time when it started going down, then the, the, the retail shops, music retail, were now uh, buying stuff on what they call sell or return. Sell or return is when a realtor buys a number of units from a label, say 10,000 units, and if they haven't sold them within a couple of months, the realtors will return the dead stock back to the label. Of course, this culturally exciting era coincides with the rise in digital, the release of the iPod, and the eventual decline in CD sales. The company as a whole, they understood what they were doing. It's just that they could not move fast enough with the times. And I think that a lot of record labels are suffering from that. They are too big to move fast enough with the times. After this mid-2000s era, many labels found themselves in turmoil, and Gallo Music was no exception. They released most of their major artists from their contracts, Simpiwe, Tandiswa, even the Mahotela Queens, and shifted much of their focus towards publishing. 
And so, here we are, with a record company that has an incredible legacy of taking us through so many stages of not just music, but also our country's twists and turns. The reality is that we find ourselves coming from a time where the sound of South African music has evolved, and we tend to hear far more American music on the radio than we do South African music. Given these significant transformations in our cultural story, we are left wondering how we can reintroduce a valorization into our cultural productions, where artists and cultural producers are receiving the support they both need and deserve. for listening to Gallo Vault Sessions, a limited podcast series in collaboration with Gonjo. In this first season of Gallo Vault Sessions, we have explored the impact of Radio Bantu and the SABC on not just Gallo's recording trajectory, but also that of South African music production more broadly. You know, you had a Zulu service and you had a Tosa service. The radio stations were instructed to only play material in that particular language and the record company stepped up to fill the gap there we've spoken with radio veteran shadow twala do we have south african jazz or don't we where does it begin and where does it end also genres were there to divide and rule and also taken a journey with some of the artists behind many of the songs we all know and love Lulu Masilela. Music is uh, our family disease. Sipo Hotsticks Mabuse. At that time, we understood what the word free would have meant. When you said, set me free. Yes, we wanted our freedom at that time. Mam Hilda Tlaubatla. Makonatsotle band and Mautela Queens and Masatin was really a family. Don Laka, Anton Hoysen. If you really want to get to the Afrikaner, you like call up his sentiment uh, and you've got it. And Simpiwe Dana. We heard valuable insights from researchers Skulk van der Merwe, Tandiwe Njinga, Edna Martinez, and of course, Gallo Music's own Rob Allingham. We've learned about some of the incredible costs and sacrifices it's taken for artists and producers to make music in our country. The record industry was run by white people. Anything that the record company wanted to do, they had to do it through the talent scouts and also the types of strategies labels like Gallo Music employed in order to mobilize the music and talent, both locally and abroad. If there's a message that's going to travel, it's going to be music. Music travels so fast. You know, we would take the artists on the road, we would go and showcase at Medem, we would have a whole strategy. We spoke with ex-Gallo MDs Antos Stella, Dr. Sipo Sitole and Ivor Harberger, and also our favorite royalties manager, Bra Michael Swaratle, who helped us delve deep into the stories and sounds we tend to take for granted. A lot of artists were discovered at the mines, or composers were discovered at the mines, more especially the one who comes from the Lesotho, KZN, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and all that. Gallo music remains engaged in the process of constantly adapting and holding itself to a higher standard as a custodian of so much of the South African music story. We hope you've enjoyed this final episode of our first season and also learned something new. We really appreciate you joining us on the journey through South Africa's record industry history. 
The team at Gonjo and Gallo Music have really enjoyed putting this season together and we want to thank you for exceeding our expectation with your enthusiastic support and shares. Please continue to follow Gonjo and Gallo Record Company on social media and make sure you rate and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app so that you're first to hear our plans for a second season of Gallo Vault Sessions, a podcast in collaboration with Gonjo. Today's episode was researched, produced, and written by Zara Julius at Gonjo with production support from The Good People and narration by Kaneta Kanutu. Our theme music is the song Doi Doi by Marumo, and you're listening to Kansas City by The Movers. Special thanks to today's guests, Antostella, Don Laka, Simpiwe Dana, and Dr. Sipo Sitole. Be sure to listen to this month's Gonjo curated mix by Nombuso Matibela, which takes us through Gallo music in transition out of apartheid. You can find a link to that in the show notes and on the Gonjo Mix Cloud. Please also review and give us five stars or however you rate this podcast. We really love hearing from you. And so for the final time this season, we say Gallo Vault Sessions, a podcast collaboration with Gonjo.